Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. This is Take the Black, and I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Corey Smith and Corey Thone. The Lady Isis could not tonight, but that's okay. We'll power through. Tonight, we're going to talk about, briefly, the uh, Game of Thrones Emmy win they got for Outstanding Drama for the third year in a row, season five and six for the other two years previously leading up to this, obviously. <laughs> and then uh, Peter Dinklage got Best Supporting Actor, which was pretty cool, too. Um, that There were some other Creative Arts Emmys that happened, but the one important one that I do want to mention is Ramin Jawadi did, in fact, win his first ever Emmy for Season 7, Dragon and the Wolf, and uh, he was actually in the category against himself for Westworld, so... Uh, Good on Jawadi for bringing home his first ever Emmy gold. That's very nice of him, and we're very happy. He's currently on the North American leg of the Game of Thrones Live Experience Tour. Um, and if you want a chance to go to Chicago and uh, see him there, you can go to Omaze and donate $10, and you might get a chance to help the uh, Interna- uh, International Relief Council, is it? IRC? And uh, you might get a chance to win a uh, to win a spot there with him. But go to Winner's Coming to check that out. Um, tonight we're going to talk about Battle for Castle Black. That's from Season 4's penultimate episode where Jon Snow uh, actually was very cool with uh, Alistair Thorne for just a moment. And they defended the wall against the Wildlings. But before we get into it, there is a bit of Season 8 spoilers we want to talk about. And it may not be spoilers. This may turn out to be a bunch of hooey-pooey, uh, but we're going to talk about it. So during the Creative Arts Emmy Awards, um, the special effects team for Game of Thrones won their – they won for Season 7. And during their – they were talking to the press. One of the guys, one of the producers for the special effects team said, um – yeah, so we're not going to tell you in what episode uh, Tyrion dies in. And everybody kind of said, <gasps> and there was a reaction from the rest of the team, and people have been debating if it was natural or if it was whatever. But um, it's it, it, it kind of looked like everybody kind of freaked out when he said it. Before that, the Free Folk Reddit, subreddit has a, uh, a very uh, – dependable leaker named Freaky Doctor. Freaky Doctor is from Spain, and he talked about a scene that was filmed at the Dragon Pit in Seville where Tyrion goes on trial for treason. And the people that were there were Sansa, Arya, and Davos for sure. So, Corey Smith, what do you make of this? Um, I've always kind of been of the opinion that Tyrion may not make it out alive from the series, but this particular man, the manner in which they're talking about sounds a little bit made up to me. Um, we know that for, that Amelia Clark did not show up in Seville. Right. Um, so we know she wasn't on set. She was off promoting solo. Um, if she did show up on sh- on set, it wouldn't have been for very long at all because she was hopping around Europe uh, doing the solo promotional tour. So if she was there, it couldn't have been for more than one day or a few hours at the most because she was, you know, 
occupied. So if she's not there, then that that likely means he betrayed uh, Danny, and Danny's dead as well, right? Right. Because why would you put him on trial in the dragon? Who's he betray- right. So because if he betrayed Danny and she was still alive, she would be there to confront him or pass the sentence or whatever. She wouldn't be somewhere else. So that's part of it. I, the other part is that I, I think it, it's just one of those things where everybody's reading too much into Tyrion's uh, awkward standing outside the door during boat sex. Um, <laughs> Although you know, Dinklage, to- Dinklage did say in an interview that he's got feelings for, for, for Danny. Right, and and so he said that it's yeah, it's basically just he's there's a little bit of he he thinks he's in love with Danny, he's he definitely um, he says that he loves John, he's always uh, enjoyed John's company, you know they bonded way back during season one, and but then there's again, feelings of jealousy, right? There's feelings of jealousy, but at the same time, it's not like it's someone that Danny's with someone that Tyrion detests. Right. Right. So he's he's conflicted. And again, I still just don't see him betraying Danny. I, I you know, for the same reason with a with that a lot of things I don't see happening. We don't have a lot of runway left, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of room left in the series to be running these huge giant um plots. So That's I just don't you know what I mean? I just don't see like we're going to wrap up everything, and then we're going to have some long trial at the end. Corey Thung, Corey Thung what, you know? what do you think about all this? Is this just like a – I mean, it's from the free folk, man. They they usually get some good things right, but they also get a lot of things wrong. Uh, haven't we basically confirmed that, that they have filmed and, like, leaked things that are incorrect on purpose for this season? There's been stories of false endings being filmed, yes. Okay. Well, but we don't know for sure that that's happening. That's. I mean, to me, I, uh, I don't. I think that it was a probably a joke what they said about what episode Tyrion dies in because that would that is such like an obvious thing to say. It's not like they were doing an interview and it was like, and then you know, of course, you know, my character, you know, has got some things to say about this. I mean, I shouldn't say anything about that. You know, like one of those vague things that happens in interviews with Tom Holland or with people uh, from Game of Thrones. This was like, <laughs> Tyrion's going to die. And it's like, yeah, okay, let's, I don't know the guy. I mean, not that I don't believe Tyrion's going to die. I'm I'm with Smith. We've talked a lot about Tyrion on, on this podcast. Um, we've given lots of different reasons why he could live, what his role would be if he did survive, uh, and assuming that they beat the Night King. Uh, I, you know, my theory that I, I that I doubled down on a few seasons ago was that, uh, you know, he was going to help raise John and Danny's kids and yeah. all that jazz. I mean, that's all really sweet and lovely, but also people are going to die. Yeah. So I'm not going to be surprised if if Tyrion dies. I'm I don't I'm like again with you guys. I know I'm just re re echoing your sentiments, but I don't understand how he could betray. Danny or something, uh, unless it's where was this film that so where was this supposed to be taking place at Seville, with Davos, Seville, Spain, in the Dragon Pit, in the Dragon Pit, so in the capital, in, the, in King's Landing, correct? Yes. Okay, so I mean, maybe if 
they're going to hold him on trial for killing Joffrey or or Cersei or something. Yeah, I can't see Jon Snow going all Ned Stark and being like, well, thanks for helping us win the war, but you know what? Honor's honor. You got to die. Yeah, so so I really don't know if I buy that he's on trial for treason. I mean, if you want to, he could be on, I don't know. At the same time, none of us know shit. And, you know, leaks like this are mm, sketchy at best. And without be- exposition, none of it makes sense. Exactly. And honestly, even with exposition, some of the shit less even <laughs> makes sense. So. <laughs> That's a fair point. All right. You know what? That's enough about that bunk. Let's get right into the topic of tonight. Tonight we're going to be uh, talking about the battle for Castle Black, uh, the Battle of the Wall. So, um, Corey Thone, I know this this was a fun battle for you, right? I mean, you got to see uh, – this was this is one of the last – this may have been the last battle – that book readers knew about because after this, John becomes Lord Commander and then he's stabbed to death in, in the in in the fifth book. So, what walk me through how you see this being built up as? Because I could go something easy. I could say, yeah, th- things that led up to this: John and the Night's Watch marched out to the fist of the First Men. They saw where Mance was. But what really led up to? What's the catalyst for the battle at the Wall? Well, the catalyst for it, you'd have to go back thousands of years, I think. But ah, if, nice. if we're talking, if we're talking about what led to this, one of the first things I think is is Mance Raider himself. Right. Um, his, um, you know, his story is really interesting, and and obviously played magnificently by Julius Caesar and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Karen no, Hines. Is it, it Karen Hines? Syrian. Uh, Syrian. Uh, yeah, Syrian Hines. I thought it was Karen. Yeah, was, it's something was, like that. I thought it was pronounced yeah, Karen. Syrian. Karen Hines sounds like an actress from like a John Hughes movie. So, <laughs> so from what I understand, because really the show, I'm sure the book goes way in depth with it. So you guys might be able to fill in some blanks here. But from what I understand about Mance is that he was once, uh, you know, a Night's Watch. Right. Men, Night's Watch. A watch he's a watchman. He's a watchman. Uh, <laughs> he, he's Dr. Manhattan. He was, but he has, but he's like half wildling or something. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, his mother was a wildling. Okay, one at a time, fellas, you nerds. Chill out. Actually, um, well, actually. <laughs> so his mother was a wildling. Is that what you said, Smith? Correct, yes. Okay, so, but he he fled to the wall. I don't know why and, and then he ran when when he was out on patrol or something he got captured the same way john did or something like that and when he, was, he ran uh, away i believe his mom drops him off at the wall or something like that oh okay to give him like a better life or something yeah, he was raised right. the wall and then he's he's out on a range and he gets wounded and uh it's a big long story about his cloak it's actually red and black from the strips of cloth that the wildlings got to fix his cloak. He's wounded by a shadow cat or something. I forget what exactly what the whole story is. But but yeah. But you know, that's that's the only scent I wear. But um you know that's that that story didn't make it into the show, but you're right about Mance Raider being one of the catalysts for this whole thing. Because without Mance Raider combining all of the different tribes of the wildlings, you wouldn't have 
the push to the wall because um, you have to remember none of these guys got along. They all hate each other, and it's not like okay. So you know how you know how in Hard Home where John and Tormund go talk to the Wilding Chieftains, you know that. So they they don't have that. The Wildlings don't have a council. They all pretty much hate each other. And in the books, there's like they have names for everybody. Like there's Hornfoot men and and Cave Bear men and Giants and Mammoths and 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 all kinds of different names for all the different tribes. And and they none none of them talked to each other. And it was Mance who went around and rounded them up all together and said, "We have to go to the wall." Because, and I would say, if you're, if you really want to look at the real reason, and you hit on this at the very beginning, thousands of years ago, if you really want to hit on the real reason this is happening, is because of the White Walkers. Smith. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when we we're talking about, when I was thinking about this today, it's like it's interesting because Mance, he does, he spends seven years. We don't know how long before he starts to gather the the clans together, but he spends seven fucking years, like Tormund says, uh, <laughs> trying to get the wildlings together. And he has to, some of them he has to fight. He talks about how he had to beat the shit out of Tormund like three times before Tormund would like submit, <laughs> you yep, know, yep. like he, like he kept challenging him and challenging. Him, and finally Tormund was like, all right, this guy's not going away. And, you know, and he's doing it. It's, it's super interesting. And I don't think that they, they give it enough play on the show, but the, he's doing it because he's trying to save everybody. And he's seen that the white walkers, you know, are picking people off and they're turning them all into whites. And he's trying to save everybody and get them South of the wall. You know, before this, you know, there's, I forget how many, but there's plenty of Kings beyond the wall right. before Mance. Right. Right. But every one of them was always just trying to invade and conquer the North, right? Mance is the first one who does it that he's not trying to conquer. He he literally, you know, he tells John, I want to hide behind your wall. Like, I'm trying to get my people through. I'm literally terrified of what's coming, and I'm trying to get every person through that I can <laughs> because I don't want to. Everybody's going to die. Um, and he thinks the wall is the only chance that everybody has. So... I, I always thought that was super interesting, and it doesn't get you know enough attention on the show because they kind of treat Mance as this kind of invader guy um, when really he's not. So and, and really, um, if you think about this, uh, and I've kind of always viewed it this way. Actually, I didn't view it until this way until my second read through, and then I watched it on the show. But the men of the Night's Watch are super asshole bigots towards the wildlings like they don't even want to work with the wildlings they don't want them anywhere near there and of course obviously the year over the thousands of years the wildlings have been on the other side of the wall they've been raiding the north and the northmen hate the, the wildlings but the men of the night's watch they like in the book like in a dance with dragons john tries to integrate wildlings along the wall all those unmanned forts and that's the reason he stabbed to death he lets them into the gift, which is a p- patch of land given to the Night's Watch. He lets the, uh, you know, he lets he lets them man castles, and that's what gets him stabbed to death. And it, it's kind of funny because had they had they just 
worked out some kind of peace accord with Mance Raider, who was obviously the king beyond the wall, to keep his people in check when he got into the gift and they, they settled it, they would have never had a problem. There wouldn't have been a war at the wall. There wouldn't be. There wouldn't have. We wouldn't have had John. John would have never played a role. In fact, in fact, um, more than likely, had had this all happened peacefully and then been in peace talks, Lord Commander Mormont might still be alive. He might not even have taken the North the Night's Watch ranging. I mean, that's debatable because he was looking for Benjamin Stark and all those guys too. But he he might not have ever, take, ever taken that ranging had Mance tried and a nice watch come to some kind of agreement. But, you know, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I always thought it was interesting because you're right. They are, like, especially in the books, they are incredibly racist against the wildlings and vice versa. To be fair. Oh, yeah, they hate each other. They have derogatory names for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and I always, you know, there's some real-world parallels between the the two groups. You know, you can say Israelis and Palestinians or basically any conflict where at this point they're just fighting because that's what everybody's done, their ancestors have done, and it just keeps going, and the cycle keeps feeding itself. And John, yeah, is the especially in the books, he's the first one to be like, "Listen, we've got to change this because we're all going to die if we don't." You and, know, that's, the and that's right. where that's where you get the John from the show is we got to do this or we all or we all become mem- members of the Army of the Dead. Um, Corey, I mean, yeah, Mance, Mance Raider's teachings echo through John's, you know, monologues. Yeah. for the rest of the show, it, it, that's, um, that's exactly right. And, and it's be and you know, I think he really admired Mance, and he you know it's like Smith said, Mance very vocally was like, "I don't want to fight. I want to not fight. <laughs> I want I want to just not turn into a White Walker." He didn't want to so, fight, and he didn't want to be. He didn't want to kneel. Yeah, so you know he basically was you know when you look at what John goes on to do. You know, long after this, when he lets the wildlings through the wall, and he's just he goes to every you know king or every kingdom, and is like, "Hey, we need to need your help. Can you please help us?" But I'm not going to kneel. And it's the exact same thing that Mance is doing. <laughs> that's ex- the difference. That's the difference is, is that John has the John has you know the Stark name behind him, so he gets a little more leeway than Mance Raider did. But really, you know, I mean, John really was influenced heavily by Mance. And so I, when you going back to the original question, the catalyst for this battle, I think is Mance Raider, you know, unifying the, the different tribes North of the wall. Good and, point. and then also, you know, we haven't really got into it yet, but all the stuff, I mean, like I just mentioned between Mance and John, not just influenced John, but when he escaped and got back, um, he was able to tell them, hey, they, he's got, like, ass loads of guys out there about to fight us. <laughs> like, literally. And nobody would believe him. No, no one believed him. And Which is hilarious, too, because these are the same people that are trying to convince the rest of Westeros that there's an army of, of zombies. And they're like, I know there's not. <laughs> and then one of their brothers comes back and is like, he's got, like, 100,000 men. And they're like, nah, he doesn't. You like, know is what, that really that hard to believe? You know what gets me? And this happened on the show with uh, Jano Slint, the, the the jolly guy that John beheads. Um, 
what, what gets me is in the first season, John saves Lord Commander Mormont from a white at the wall. Remember, he burns he burns his hand on the mm-hmm. lantern. In the book, it's a big deal. He burns his hand much worse and all that stuff. That's how he gets Longclaw. From, that's why Lord Commander Mormont gives him Longclaw. Well, they 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 use that. They saw the hand. All the brothers of the Night's Watch saw the hand. They saw the brother reanimate. They all they were all witness to it. And yet, when John comes back wearing wildling furs and wants to become a member of the Night's Watch again because he was undercover on a mission from Quarren Halfhand, they're all like, "What are you doing, protecting us from Grumpkins and Snarks? Ha ha ha! You're a liar." It's like you guys literally saw this saw a decrepit old hand walking through walking by itself like some kind of like prop from the monsters. So like why are, why are none of you paying attention to this? But um let's talk a little bit about Jon Snow's part up up before the battle itself. So you've got Jon who is Lord Commander Mormont's steward, right? And uh, obviously, it's a it's a job he doesn't want. He doesn't want to be steward. But then Sam tells him that you know you're being groomed for command. And then Sam says he wants to be a wizard. And then we had a great scene there. But then you get you get John going out on his first mission with Corn Half Hand, and that's when he comes across Ygritte and you know the great love of his life, and 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 then. They climb the wall. John ends up turning back on the wildlings and escaping and getting back to the wall with arrow wounds and claw marks on his face. So, John, had John been a ranger, had John not been a steward, you don't have the great heroic deeds he had at the wall. You don't have John uh, manning the wall whenever... In the, on the show, Alice of Thorn goes down to fight the wildlings. John doesn't kill the Magnar of Thin. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have, you don't have Ollie killing Yeager. Nobody cares if Ollie kills Yeager, right? So you don't have the whole fuck Ollie subreddit. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So, let's talk about John, Corey Smith. John's role, up, leading up to this, um, how different would it be had he died, had Rattleshirt killed him? Uh, I mean, they would have lost for one. You right? think? Do you think? John, do you think John had that big of a part to play in the battle himself? Yeah, I mean, after Alistair Thorne goes down, nobody knows what the fuck to do, right? Right. I mean, Slint runs off and hides in the cellar like a little bitch, and <laughs> um, you know, nobody knows what to do. So John is instrumental i mean even just you know he lets out ghost and ghost starts you know wrecking shit so i mean yeah john's instrumental to what's that line i need him yeah i need need him him more than than i than i need you yeah right yeah yeah so yeah so i mean he's a hundred percent instrumental there's no doubt that if he hadn't been there that Everybody dies, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, people don't go down into the tunnel. The giant busts through, you know, slints up on top of the wall, pretending that there's not giants at the door. I mean, yeah, he's 100% instrumental to the entire thing. And if he's not there, they get their asses kicked pretty freaking easily, in my mind. 
uh, phone without without John, you, you don't think Ed could could lead the charge against uh, the charge from the Wildlings? <laughs> I just I don't think that they I think they would have been leaderless, like Smith was saying. Um, it would have been bad because also because uh, John I believe is the one that convinces them to to really get the uh, defense stuff, I don't know the right, armaments ready on top of the wall. That's true. That's like true. He's, he's like, you need to get that shit ready because they're going to come and we need to stop them from getting through the gate. And even though he knows, and they know because he came from the, that there are, there is a small battalion of, you know, wildlings south of the wall that are going to come up through the, the gift or whatever. Um, don't focus on them. That's not the important part right now. The important part is the the other side. And also, so, you, you know what? You bring up a good point about that. Also, without John's warning that they were actually coming, um, they would have overtaken Castle Black because that's the thing about the Night's Watch is it's it's that's one of their big things is um, the the reason they were able to get such support from the realm for thousands of years is they never put a fortification on the south of the wall so that if so that no Lord Commander or whatever would make himself a king and defend and, and then set up a defensive castle. Like it was always open and that's why the Starks were able able to police the Night's Watch because there were there were Lord Commanders over time that actually did rebel. And it, it would take the Stark and Winterfell and sometimes a Stark and Winterfell and the King Beyond the Wall teaming up together to take out that Lord Commander. But um, you're right. Without without John warning them, that attack from the Fens would have would have that would have defeated Castle Black before the real battle ever started. Because yeah, if they would have taken you know the downstairs, then the other guys were trapped upstairs uh-huh. with you know I know it's an elevator, but still with you know I mean it would have been it basically would have been over. It was very serendipitous, obviously, really that John was able to get back and warn them and get the people that mattered to listen. So Right, right, right. So we've got we've got John who obviously plays an important role in this battle. Um it's interesting to note that I I've I I recently read this this battle um a, 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 probably a few weeks ago um, in, during my reread and Ghost isn't there for the battle because John has to leave Ghost on the other side of the wall, and he's like, "Boy, I hope you find your way back to Castle Black. If you don't, it was good knowing you." And John climbs the wall with Eager. So the Ghost isn't there. Also, um, it's a different. It's it's a few different characters that, that are switched around during the battle. But let me ask you guys this from a show st- from a show um, point of view: um, What about what character do, that did you really? Were you really pulling for up until that point? Maybe side because there really only side characters died in that in that in the, that battle. What How ca- dare you call Grin a side? Ah, character. I was gonna say Grin. <laughs> so you 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 really you really miss Grin, do you? He was just a great uh, side character, I guess. But you know, uh, the Oryx is what they called him. The thing about this show is it's so huge and sprawling. So you have the characters that, I mean, we were introduced to in season one, still make up a majority of the screen time. 
Uh-huh. Like there's a handful of characters that we either barely knew or didn't meet in season one that uh, that are around right now that are important, you right. know. So having someone like, which I mean, I guess we probably met Grin in season one as well, but Grin and uh, Pip or whatever that guy's Pip. name was, yeah, Pip. yeah, and Grin and Pip and, and and those guys, they were just different. It. it they remind me the type of um, character they were, the type of person they were playing. They reminded me of the guy whose name I forgot that is Tyrion's friend that saved him from going up the moon. Bron, thank you. They remind me of Bron because they're not, you know, highborn. They were the opposite of that. And their approach to things and their outlook on things was so different. But, you know, at the end, Obviously, they rallied around John and stuff, but just having those characters can be a breath of fresh air. That's why Braun is is such a and and you know Pod are such hits because they aren't highborn people. Yeah, they're well, just guess, they're the common guy like Hot Pie, and they're the, they're the yeah. common guy. And you you really lo- you really like to cheer for them, and you want to see them on screen doing fun things. Yeah, basically, like, like you know making pie or whatever, well, like making pie or you know killing a giant. Um. Smith, talk to me a little bit about the book version of these two characters. So, like, Pip and Grin both obviously survived the Battle of the Wall, um, and they're really close friends of John. And they, they're like Martin George R. R. Martin goes through a, a lot of detail in explaining their friendships and how he trains, how they hated him at first, then he trains them to be good swordsmen, and and how like Pip's got big ears, so he waggles his ears all the time and makes stupid. Japes, he calls them jokes. He makes jokes all the time. So, uh, did it kind of suck to see Pip take an arrow in the neck? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I watched this episode a lot, and I actually I actually got to go see it uh, when they did that whole um, on the IMAX. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Um, So, I mean, I've seen this episode a ton of times, but yeah, I mean, those parts suck because those were good characters. And they were just, you know, because they, I, I think, don't sort of touch on this, but they're also characters that didn't really have, like, agendas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Pip and Gran aren't, like, jockeying to be Lord Commander or trying to be, you know, like, Bronn's not really trying to get on the Iron Throne. You know what I mean? They want they want small, immediate things. Bronn, and maybe, Bronn's just trying to get on lollies. That's all we know. Right. Right, and I mean, maybe Bronze, Bronze ambitions have grown a little bit since we first met him, but, you know, these are characters that, yeah, their life is just focused on, like, I want to survive, and I want some warm food and a place to sleep, you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas, exactly. like, you know, John and these other characters are focused on the big picture. These guys are just like, I want to make it through today, and then we can talk about tomorrow tomorrow. And I think that that's important for characters like John and Tyrion to have because it just it's a different perspective. Um, but then also there's a there's especially you saw it especially in this episode with Pip and Sam. There's like a camaraderie there because they all kind of came up together, right? Yeah, and they all kind of uh, surrounded Sam after John defended him. They all started defending Sam too, so Sam felt comfortable around them. Right, and Sam's never had friends, right? Right, right. and so there's a camaraderie there, that, you know, that that was kind of nice. Though that it doesn't always have nice things, 
you know, there, there, there's no, and like I said, there's no agenda. Right, right, right. right. They're just friends. And you you never worried about Pip or Grin betraying Sam, right? Yeah, that's true. Betraying John. You know what I mean? Like, whereas everybody else, I mean, we were just talking about Tyrion betraying Danny and being put on, you know what I mean? And so it's like, those kinds of characters are great on a show like this because they're just, they're simple characters, they're good characters, and they, you know. I think yeah, out, of, out, of all, out of all his friends from the wall, you had Pip, Grin, Ed, and yeah. th- those guys would never betray John. All he fucking betrayed John, and he was his steward. So, yeah, anyway, uh, you know, uh, I think out of the two, though, you guys have to admit that Grin had the best death. Like chanting, like reciting the Night's, Night's Watch Oath as yeah. the giant came through. That was probably one of the more badass deaths on the show. I, I mean, there's been some great deaths, right, obviously, on Game of Thrones. We know that. But Grin standing there with his, his compatriots chanting the oath as the giant comes at him was pretty epic. epic. So, and, and that... Yeah. You when you really got to see maybe Gren had some leadership in him too, right? Yeah, right, right, right. You know, everybody's pissing their pants, and he's like, "All right, I got to get these guys to focus." But we all believe in and we believe in the Night's Watch. Let's all recite our vows, and that'll get people, you know, get them to focus on. We got to take down this big fucking giant. So, yeah, that, that was a great scene. So, uh, Corey Thone, uh, let's move into the battle itself. Um, we, we know we can talk uh, all day long about how John took command of the wall, but what led to that moment was the fact that Jano Slint slithered away to the, to the cheese pantry with, with Gilly, and then, and then Alistair Thorne had to go downstairs and fight. So, this being John's big moment, um, how did you like? Because you had, as a show watcher, you had to hate Alistair Thorne before this, right? Yeah, he was a prick. Um, he he hated John. It seemed like he hated John from the jump. I don't know if he actually did. I mean, I can hear the argument that he's one of those, you know, coaches that give you real tough coaching, but then you know, deep down, they're they're teaching you life lessons. He's a like, gunny. Yeah, but really, he's just a prick yeah. and. You know he, but he, but he's not a. I mean, he's a prick, but he's he's not a a coward. A coward, yeah. He's and he, and honestly, he did a really great job <laughs> in in this. You see why he's where he's at in the Night's Watch and why he has the respect he has because after this battle, he really because you know he's a little older, so he gets out there in the mix of it and really, you know, does pretty well. They had to actually pull him off of. Because he got wounded, right? He gets wounded he during did, the battle, yeah. and they had to actually pull him kicking and screaming from the field of battle, like it, in, the, in the Castle Black Yard, because he wasn't going to give up. And that's, you know, um, the actor Owen Teal, he did a phenomenal job with Alistair Thorne, because that's the side of Alistair Thorne you don't see in the books. Actually, Thorne's not there for the Battle of Castle Black um, in the books. So you don't actually get to mm. see how badass he is. In that, in there, and 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 in the books, they go on to explain how he's a tar- he was a Targaryen loyalist, uh, noble born, and that's why he took the black after Robert came into his crown. Blah 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 blah. But um, 
you know, Alistair Thorne got what he deserved in the end because he led for the watch and the stabbing of Jon Snow. But he he was a really – that moment kind of made me like his character a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of I kind of felt like this battle and, – and, and, you know, he has a, mo- a moment at one point where John goes to Hardhome and he comes back with the wildlings. And he's standing there at the top of the wall, and he lets John back in, and he tells John his soft heart's going to get him all killed. You know, he has a yeah. Owen Till as the actor did a really good job with that character, but he's a great uh, voice, very gruff. Oh voice. yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny as a side note. He said he wants to be part of the prequel. I don't know how that's going to work, but he wants to be part of the prequel. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it'd be great. We need more, you know, people like that. Yeah, anybody you can, any way you can tie the prequel back. To the to the original show is great. So little characters like him that you know people know and will recognize, but also don't know a lot about would be great. Right. He could so, he could be Alistair Thorne's like great 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 grandfather in the, in the prequel. <laughs> well, I mean, unless they're just gonna do you know something immediately after or something. Anyway, yeah. so you know, you mentioned the battle. We for, one thing we we skipped clean over was the lighting of the biggest fire the North had ever seen. Uh, and, and that's the promo, man. That's what gets you in the yeah. promo. Yeah, so they he lights, Manstrader lights a bunch of trees on fire, and that's the signal to the folks south of the wall as well, not just to the North, to the, the watch that, you know, we're here. So the uh, guy that can go into animals... <laughs> What's he called? Your, uh, was it a was warg? it a warg? A warg. Yeah, was it Yorel though? Was it, I, can't, I can't remember which wild in it was. I don't remember that weirdo's name. Fake Johnny Depp, like <laughs> wargs into a hawk or whatever, and sees the fires lit, so it's time to attack. And you know they really and truly came really close to winning. <laughs> mm-hmm. They really did. They really did <laughs> on that first night. Um, and something too that you talked about, Grin. You know, showing. Uh, some leadership skills. He actually is the reason that Janice Slint left the top of the wall because Alistair left him in charge, and he tells, you know, Slint, oh, they need you down there, and he leaves, so John takes over up top. Oh, and, that's right. I forgot about that. And and he's the one that, that gets them to start attacking the, you know, the right areas and focusing their attacks and launching the arrows, and, you know, he tells them, I've made the climb on that wall before or whatever, and it takes several hours and it was it Ed or somebody was like, yeah, but they're in way more of a hurry than you were, <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. Who was but, it? Um, Do you remember who who it was that said to use the the scythe? Who who told them to use? That was Ed. He's like it, dropped the scythe on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that scythe is not in the books either. And I remember the moment I was like, what scythe were they talking about? And when that big bitch <laughs> cracked off from the wall, I was like, oh my god. Anchored. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, that was that was really awesome. <laughs> so, you know, the the so really the 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 reason this battle works because this show does such a great job for the most part with battles. And, you know, we talked off camera, off camera, off podcast <laughs> about about, you know, we like we did Blackwater last week and we, you know, we do the battle for Castle Black this week, um, we, we don't want to focus too much on the battle itself because like that is the thing the show very viscerally and very well well done shows you the battle. Right, right, right. right. So we, we don't need to spend just a crazy amount of time talking about it. At the same time, 
just pacing wise, the two different types of battles that are happening at Castle Black on top of the wall, it's defense, it's arrows, it's scythes, it's barrels of, you know, uh, whatever. Frozen, frozen gravel. Yeah, for just, just all they're dropping stuff. They're defending the gate. They're defending the gate, and then just a short, you know, elevator ride down a few floors. You've got very hand to hand, tight, you know, space conflict happening, and and they do a great job of reminding you of the scale of everything. Mm-hmm. Like when the uh, when the giant launches his big ass arrow and and impales that guy. That was a great moment, by the way. <laughs> great moment because it reminded you just how far up they were. And then after that, they pretty quickly cut back down to the battle happening in the courtyard. And mm-hmm. they and it's they they the camera is set up kind of near a wall, so you you get that kind of tight feeling that this is like very hand to hand. This is like trench warfare almost. Like this is a there's nowhere to run. Like you can't run anywhere except around you, and that, that you just have this space. And they so, had a lot of POVs that people actually cared about in this actual battle too. They really did, and, and this was a very you know the difference between this and if you watch this battle after watching Blackwater Bay like we did, Blackwater feels so small. It really does. <laughs> you know, it's just a beachfront that they d- turned the lights out and <laughs> went until, and then you know it's. That's all I did, and this was just a huge set piece. And also, if it feels like we're talking a lot about the build-up more, it's because this was way more seasons worth of build-up and a lot more characters, you know, coming to a head like major characters. But you know, we, you know, you want to focus on what caused the battle, how we got there, and then what the fallout of it was. And we're gonna get to fallout in a minute, but I just had to stop. And and, and this battle is so overlooked. In the show, it is it is just such a, a crazy. Somebody's like, door really cared about that. The, the yeah, show that too. was Leanne. Sorry, <laughs> she came to get her laptop. Uh, That's okay. This this battle is is so overlooked by, you know, Game of Thrones fans for ones especially later in the show that are more polished, like Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards. He's like his huge sprawling battlefields because that's like the very you know Braveheart like battle scene, right? Yeah, but. But the stuff here, so intimate with people like both sides, because John, really, this is like peak Game of Thrones. John having been a double agent and us really kind of getting to like Ygritte and Mance and Tormund. Yep. And then, you know, obviously we already like Grin and Pip. We already had, you know, whatever kind of respect or blah, blah for Alistair Thorne and everything. Having those two sides fighting in this very tight quarters it, it was nerve-wracking totally it, was it's frenetic and it makes you like really want to chew your fingernails if you do that like it, it really like makes you nervous smith uh there's a lot of point of views like i told bone like you've got you've got you if you, if you cared about egret which obviously they did a lot to make us care about egret in the show we cared about john obviously ghost sam Baby, uh, uh, or baby Sam and Gilly, who we don't know if the Wildlings are going to break through and get them, or Jano Slint's going to do something to her. We've got Alistair Thorne, who becomes a badass in this episode. Grin, Pip, you've got um, the Giants, who are pretty fucking cool, and you're like, I don't want all the Giants to die, but hey, whatever, they're take- they're attacking the wall. And then you got Mance and Tormund, and the, the, and the Magnar of Finn and John having their battle. And then, you know, up until this point, and then I'll let you talk, Smith, is... Up until this point, we all kind of liked Ollie. 
He wasn't a bad guy. He was a little poor little kid. He was a poor little kid who got threatened that he, his, he was going to have his parents eaten by the Thins. Yeah, I mean, well, even when he killed Egret, we didn't hate Ollie. I did. Right? I didn't. <laughs> I mean, immediately. No, I mean, and, I mean, before we move forward, I mean, I, I want to reiterate what Thone was saying. I mean, this was, to me, like, you know, going to see it in IMAX, this was the perfect episode to see in IMAX, right? Because of the scale of the wall and because of the scale of the conflict, uh, the other battles obviously would work on IMAX, but this one in particular, like one, I remember when John runs up, you know, he hears the horn blowing and he runs to the top and he sees the, the fire burning. Mm-hmm. I mean, in IMAX, that scene fucking played, right? Man, I wish I had, I wish I like, had seen it when it happened. Yeah. I mean, I told, there was a couple of people, I had a big group of people and um, a couple of people were seeing it for the first time in IMAX, that episode. And I was like, man, y'all are in for a fucking treat because, like, I watch this on my little screen at home, you know, and <laughs> we're going to see it on the fucking IMAX. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it feels different than a lot of the other battles, uh, I think, because, like Thone was saying, it involves the wall and just a different, you know, physical scale as opposed to two armies mean, you know, in a field, right? Right. So, anyways. But, no, I didn't. I didn't hate Ollie when he killed Egret. Um, because as far as he was concerned, he was helping out, you know, the best way he could. He was and helping John. And Sam <laughs> told Sam told Ollie to grab a bow, didn't he? Yeah, he said grab a weapon, Ollie, fight, you know, like fight back. Because he was just hiding behind, you know, a barrel or whatever. So I Maybe we should it. get this trending it's Sam's fault. It's Sam's fault. Yeah, see. And speaking of Sam, I loved at the beginning of the episode before shit starts, you know, hits the fan when Gilly shows up at the at the gate and pips at the gate and he's like they said no one, you know, no one comes in and no one comes out and Sam's like open the fucking gate. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the first time you ever really see Sam like mad. Right? Yeah, he stands. Yeah, he gets balls for a minute there. Yeah. Right. Because he's like, listen, I'm going to kick your ass if you don't open this freaking gate and let Gilly in. And it's because obviously he loves Gilly and and little Sam. So, um, you know, (laughs) the episode's full of, of, you know, sort of smaller moments like that that make it all work. Um, Especially like later on when Sam's reunited with with Gilly and did, and all that. Let me ask stuff. you this: did, I can't remember. Did did Egret see Gilly running past them or not? No, no, because they were too busy talking shit to each other. Yeah, too, too, right? too busy yeah. talking about her ginger minge. Yeah, and it's like, dude, <laughs> it's like here's a group of like wildling killers, and they've got like an eagle flying overhead, and they're all like, you didn't have a single guard, and you just let like, what if that had been the Night's Watch coming out of the castle? Right, 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 right. right. They, would, they would have tripped over the freaking wildlings because they weren't paying attention. So that part was a little, um, you know, hard to believe. But you know, the rest of the episode works. Really. So, and I don't, I don't want to talk too much more about the day one because it's it's two days. No, you're right. right. I was going to talk about. Let's let's get into the fallout. You lead us through but, that. Well, I wanted we we are leaving out a couple of critical things. I think. Um, the the first being at that point maybe one of the coolest deaths ever where John puts a hammer through a guy's head. 
Um, uh, yeah, a fucking blacksmith's hammer right through the Magnar Finn, and that was the leader of the Finns. He, yeah. And he got lucky, by the way. He didn't have his sword. He was getting his ass kicked. Yeah, it was it was definitely, you know, John's impromptu fighting abilities that saved him there. We also didn't really touch on we mentioned Dallas Thorne got hurt, but we didn't mention it was him fighting Tormund. Oh, that's he got right. hurt, and they were very evenly matched and uh, you know, that was Tormund or one of them fell off a platform or something and and that's that ended it was the Thorn. Yeah, it was fell Thorn. off the conf- so and so they they had to drag him away or whatever. And then um you know, lastly the uh, torment gets captured. Torment took some of, wounds uh, too. He got John yeah. shot him. Yeah, and we already talked about your grit, and and you know we the fallout is like one of the biggest things in this. The fallout is is your grit's death, and mm-hmm. and the toll it takes on John mentally for sure, and and his inability still to differentiate himself. Like he figures out that like, oh, you, it's it's like that was kind of a moment like in in a movie about when white people wouldn't let black people do things like, let's just say pride <laughs> or whatever. And like, you can't swim here. And then it's like, wait a minute, black people like swimming and I like swimming. We're so the same. And like, that was this moment is like this whole buildup was, this was what kind of led to John, his big heart as Alistair says later, soft heart or whatever. Like it's because he has spent all this time with them and loved them and lost with them. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Had she lived, does John forswear his vows then and go off with her? Oof, that is such a good question. I <laughs> had she lived, the difference it would make, I think, long run would be huge because John and Ygritte and Tormund, I think, would have been able to speed up the uh it would have sped up a lot of the process with John because the, the I think the brothers would have seen it as a betrayal, mm-hmm. him falling in love with a wildling, but the wildlings would have seen it as an opportunity to you know faster to to they wouldn't have had to go to hard home, right? You know, right? So I don't know. Of course, you know the next day the Baratheons show up, so shit goes south anyway. But I think had she lived, the I still think John gets killed, but I think that it you know has more to do with. You know, you grit than it does with anything else. Yeah, either uh, a, either a if she li- if she lives, either a they escape the like he just you know decides to say fuck it and they leave Castle Black together and go back to which that he cave. would never do. Which yeah, I don't yeah it's, he's too much of a he's too much of a Ned Stark's uh, uh, nephew uh, to do that. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, he you know he wanted to be talked about going back to the cave together you know um, or or b he 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 lets Egret. Get past the wall with maybe a couple. You know, I, he wouldn't let anybody else go past because Tormund was fighting like a fucking crazy man in that battle. So, and there's no way Tormund at that point was friendly enough with John to for John to allow him to escape. So, he would have been the only one that would have. He would probably would have let escape. If I, don't, I, I really think that, and I'm sure Smith might have an opinion on this too. But it's almost. It's almost too much speculation to it really is. get into because how how wide the net, how much would have changed had you grit not died in John's arms in the courtyard. Not just because she's alive and what's that going to do to him, but her death like changed him as well. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. So it, it was. I mean, Smith, do you have any? Is there anything you can think that directly would have changed? 
No, I mean, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head. It, it's it would be such a huge change that it's hard to peg down everything that would have changed. You know, that would have been different going forward. Um, I don't. I don't know if John would have stuck around. I assume, yeah, he would have stuck to his vows. Um, and so then where does that leave Egret? You know what I mean? Like, what does she do if, you know, in, in Tormund's place? There's a pi- wanna- but, but there's a pivotal moment before the attack on the wall where John and, and Egret are looking at the tower. And she's like, is that... Is that a great castle snow or whatever the hell the fuck she talked? I, I I know I just did a terrible accent, but that was a fuck. She she asked him about no, the castle. No, you nailed it, dude. That was and, perfect. And and he's like, you know, no, that's a tower. And he kind of laughs at her, and she they they have that moment, and then then the wildlings kill the old man, right? And at that moment, John decides I can't be a part of of this. I can't be where raiding parties come across the wall and kill rape and, and take women and all that kind of stuff. So I've got to choose my vows. So, had, you know, John, had, I don't know, man. There's a lot that goes into that. John and Egret, and, and in the books, he has a lot of inner monologue, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff like, should I stay with Egret? I love her. I've forsaken my vows with her, but I still, I, I know I love her. And, and even after her death, forever, he, ta- he thinks about her. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, that's, that's a great question. For another time, maybe if we were Marvel, we could do a whole "what if" comic about it, but we're not. So, uh, yeah, it could actually be a really interesting article. It really would. Someone, if they really wanted to dive into, you can go, you can go character by main character by main character. How what they would think? Because, like, I, from what I understand, you know, he John. I remember he told them I, he did lay with a wilding woman, but he didn't say, "Oh, and I fell deeply in love with her." <laughs> like, yeah, they well, don't. If you want to talk about. The fallout after this, the actual fallout on the show and in the book, Stannis Baratheon offers John Winterfell. And yeah. if John, if I honestly think about, here, here's food for thought: if Yigert lives and escapes, and John lets her escape, does he does he take the offer? Does he take the king's pardon? And does he go to Winterfell? And does he bring Yigert with him? That's the thought right there. That's the one. That's what you got to think about. Well, not just that he goes to Winterfell and also. The Night's Watch and also Winterfell would, like the North, would rally behind the Baratheons again as well. Mm-hmm. Which, so it would have it, it would have been a big damn deal for Stannis. Yeah, for sure. huge, massive. If Ygritte would have lived. So what we're saying right now, what we're saying, <laughs> I think we just nailed it down. If Ygritte would have lived, if fucking Ollie had not killed Ygritte <laughs> on the show, then then. Stannis Baratheon would have had John's support from Winterfell, which would have rallied the North, which would have let him defeat the Boltons, which would have let him defeat the Lannisters, and Stannis would be on the Iron Throne. Boom. Boom. There it is. There it is. Nailed it. And 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 Shireen would still be alive. Oh my God! Too soon. Ollie, you son of a bitch! You son of a bitch, Ollie! <laughs> no, it's all Sam's fault. We already established this. It's Sam's fault. <laughs> it's Sam's fault after because Ygritte died. If Ygritte ha- – well, I get what you're saying because Sam told Ollie to get a bow. All right, so. Right. All right, so. Ollie's just a kid, man. God, kids have – you know, hey, listen, do not use – Ollie is not a nominee for the Supreme Court. You cannot use the just a kid defense. <laughs> he was so. just – boys will be boys. <laughs> Uh, so he was yeah, drunk. We should, 
he was should probably get away from that. Although the you know the next the next day, obviously, and I, I know that's where you were leading into David, but we got really caught up in that what if, which was cool because <laughs> we really rode a, a a train to get to the end of that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I you know John goes north of the wall and to go meet with Mance, right? With the, like with, yeah, with not the to full, meet with him to kill him to, to kill him. With the yeah. full intention of dying. Right. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. I guess I forgot Sam. about that. Yeah, he tells Sam, he's like, I'm not planning on coming back. Like, Remember, I'm... he gives Longclaw to Sam. Yeah. Oh, he's see, like, Don't I let... just based on right. all that. Yeah, he's planning on going and killing Mance because he, he knows it's the only thing that's holding the army together. He, you know, he says that. Mance is the only reason they're an army, and if I kill Mance, they'll scatter. And he's like, but... And then Sam's like, yeah, they'll kill you. And he's like, I know. He's like, but I don't have any other, like, what else? At that point, at that point, John knows that either A, he's about to die from being a deserter to the Night's Watch because Jano Slint and Alistair Thorne are running the Night's Watch at that point. Or B, he's going to die from Mance Raider. So he chooses Mance Raider. I, I don't know. I, I, to me, it, it, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and it's not that far off. But to me, it all, it always seemed like John was just like, you know, I, I have to do this to save the Night's Watch. And I don't know that he was necessarily thinking of of uh, Thorn at that point as much as he knew that it was a hopeless fight. Like they won that night, but they've got maybe no, another night or. You know, maybe two nights after that, and then they'll be overwhelmed, right? I don't know, why else unbuckle your Valyrian steel sword and 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 and, and because be, well, because he didn't want it to be lost. Um, you know, he, he made a, he made a promise to Mormont. That's true, uh, I right? Guess not, so, uh, yeah, so yeah, so I mean, in the books, he gets sent to talk to Mance. Yeah, Slint, and, Slint, and, Slint calls him a coward and sends him out there, a turncoat, turncloak, and sends him out there. Right. So, I mean, it's a little bit different. What the hell, what the hell are you doing, Smith? And this is the portion of Take the Black where Corey Smith's internet and microphone Bro. go rogue. He closes out all of his porn tabs in there. <laughs> no, it's just a mic fucking dying on me. Oh, okay. Well, edit. so, go ahead. No, I was just saying edit that part out. Edit, edit that. Don't you dare edit that I'm part out. I'm not editing edit. that. I don't know. Well, who do you think you're talking to? This is Take this, the Black. We don't edit this shit. Is, this is not a, you know, this is a second-rate podcast. We don't edit out mistakes. And that's why you're people come back. You're being sir. This is third-rate. Yeah, no, that's why people come for the realness and the mistakes. You know, we've heard you farting the whole time, Corey, and it's fine. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I, I do want to talk about. Obviously, there's another huge what if. Okay, it's a two part what if, and I know that we've already hit an hour probably by now, right? So this but, will be the, this will be the wrap up. Lay it on me. The well, the two big what ifs are obviously what if Stannis, you know, had to slow down because of a storm, and oh. and he's he's <laughs> one day late. He's one day late getting up there. He doesn't come while John is in the tent. You know, which is again. Very, very serendipitous, but we you know fine. Uh, would John have gone through with the assassination? He would have absolutely gone for it, in my opinion. He would have failed, 
but he would have gone for it because there's a there's a part in the books that here's a little trivia for people showlings who don't know this, but Mance Raider lives in the books. He's not killed by uh, Melisandre and uh, and Stannis. Melisandre uses her her witchy ways and she uh, magics up a uh, little pendant that he wears. And as long as it's in sync with her ruby pendant that keeps her looking young, he looks like a uh, rattle shirt. And rattle shirt ends up being killed. He looks like Mance. So Mance ends up uh, fighting for Stannis and going to Winterfell and and and, and laying siege to Winterfell and like uh, playing tricks on the Boltons and causing all kinds of havoc. It's a big long thing. It's a weird fantasy story. You get what I'm saying. But the thing is, at one point. John and him have a sword fight, and he kicks John's ass. So yes, I was hoping you'd bring that up. He, man, yeah. he would have. John would have absolutely gone for it, okay, but he would have lost. Because because literally whips the shit out of John, mm-hmm. like kicks his ass to where like the night like they're they're supposedly sparring, um, but. Like literally, the Night's Watch has to pull Mance off of John because he kicks John's ass so hard. And there's a cool part in that book where he goes, uh, Mance tells John in the guise of Rattleshirt, he says, "If I had a dagger, you'd be dead." And they pull him apart, and they're like, "The the, the Night's Watch is like, we need to put him in prison. He threatened your life." And uh, John goes, "No, look at his hip. He does have a dagger." <laughs> right. <laughs> And I've always liked that part. It's one of my favorite parts of the books. Yeah, he would have failed. He would have tried, and he would have failed. And especially, too, because uh, Mance catches on to what he's there for, right? Mm-hmm. Because Mance kind of sees him glance at a, a dagger or an axe or something that's on a table. But in the books, in the books, John goes with his sword, and he tells him, he tells him, if you reach for that, for that long sword or that bastard sword or whatever he says. I'll cut you down. Yeah, I'll cut you down or something like that. Yeah, but I think he says something kind of like that in the show as well, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, he would have totally failed. Um, But, yeah, Stan is showing up right then and there. It's like, really? Yeah, like five minutes later, five minutes sooner, you know what I mean? It would have been a completely different story. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it was super serendipitous. Do you think think if, if Stannis had not used the double envelop move or the pincer move, that uh, Tormund would have been understood better <laughs> at the Battle of the Bastards. I'm kidding. That's a terrible joke, and I'll never tell it again. I apologize. Anyway, um, so what's the second part of this, though? Lead us into the second part. Well, you know, the the kind of was – the first part was what if Stannis didn't show up in time to take the, you know, the future out of Jon's hands like that and keep his hands clean of Mance, and would he go through with it? And if he did go through with it, what would happen to John? Would he be killed there on the spot by guards? Do you think he could have got away? Could he have, you know, uh, there's lots of stuff. Do you think? Um, That's a good do, question. I mean, there, there's uh, to me, there's just so many open-ended things. And again, it, it is a wide net that you cast by saying, well, what if John killed this person? It's like, well, you know, I think John went out there with the intent of killing him and and dying. Dying an honorable death, even though, as Mance tells him, you know, a dishonorable killing under a flag of truce, that's not very Starkian. Ah, and nice pull. So, you know, I don't, he didn't say Starkian. No, I wish but he I get you. 
but but it is a good point that would Ned have killed Mance? It's like again, it's a greater good type thing. If he if he can kill him, it would probably end the battle. But it's also a dishonorable killing. Obviously, we know that the Lannisters would do that. Well, we but... also know that 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 Ned was helped by Helen Reed to kill Arthur Dane. So exactly right. I think it's a great point. It, it comes back to the the. The idea of Ned versus who Ned actually was, but great point, great point. I, you know what? That's why I still say that this goes back to the point. I still think John, no matter what, went out there to die, even if he had killed Mance, he knew he wasn't going to make it out of the tent. There's, there's, all, there's a point to be made for had John defeated Mance and killed him, um, would would he be the new king beyond the wall? Um, you know, I, I think there are too many chieftains in the Wildlings to to have to have. Let that happen, but you know that could be a point you could make. But I know John at the at that point was like, you know, I, I I'm not I'm not coming back. There's no way I'm coming back from this. And then all of a sudden, Stannis shows up and saves the day. So you know, but then again, you know, John. If John dies, obviously you don't have you don't have what we have now. You don't have Battle of the Bastards. Winterfell's taken by the Boltons, kept by Ramsay Bolton. Uh, he defeats Stannis, and the Boltons end up, and, and eventually, you know, Ramsay's going to turn on the Lannisters, and there's going to be war between the West and the North, and that's, you know, there's all all kinds of fun little scenarios that you could run through there. But uh, it, I mean, Smith, back, what do you think about, you know, what do you think about that? As far as like, had John, does, has John dies, um, who, you know, what happens from that point? Um, I, I think. He would have. Uh, they definitely wouldn't have killed him right away. They would have. I think they even say something about they'll make it last days or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, John would have been fucked. And um, if he had, you know, tried and failed, or even if he succeeded and failed, I mean, he, yeah, like you said, he's he was not intending on coming back. Um, and especially in the book state, they kind of imply that or slint basically says if you come back i'm gonna stick you in an ice cell until you die right they have these like outdoor cells on the wall and he's like so you can either die or you can come back so he in the books he really has no choice and you know he, he just feels like he could do something before he goes out that would benefit the night's watch um even if i mean we touched on this earlier He's taken a lot from Mance and Mance's views on things, so he clearly doesn't want to kill Mance, and he especially doesn't want to do it in a dishonorable way um, because he does respect you know what? Mance. You know, let's take real quick. I-, I wanted to wrap this up, but there's there's something I think we need to branch off of. Five minutes, and then we can wrap up. I promise. Let's talk about if John's not there to take Lord Commander, right? If he's not voted as Lord Commander. Does Stannis get the support of the wall he gets for so long, and does he even make a march towards Winterfell? Uh, I mean, I think it depends on who is elected instead of Jon. Um, I think Slint probably would have supported Stannis because Slint would basically do anything anybody told him to do. Right. Um, I think he would have gotten... Less for, he would have gotten more resistance if, like, say, uh, Thorn or Bowen Marsh was elected. 
um, because they're a little more strict to the Night's Watch vows. Yeah, that's um, what I'm thinking. Is like, cause you know, we get the, we get a lot of that conjecture in the book. Is you know, Cotter Pike and Malice Guard, they're they're all talking about how you know they all they all kneeled they all kneeled to uh to Stannis when he's there, and Stannis treats them all very gruffly. And but at 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 some at a certain point, they 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 all kind of you know they get they get bristly over the fact that Stannis wants too many things from the Night's Watch. And they keep telling him the Night's Watch takes no part. So, right. so you know, uh, that I think that's something that would be interesting to think about. Is you know, Thone. You know, we. You know, we. One of our one of our more funny podcasts was the season five finale podcast, where we <laughs> where we Thelma and Louise talked. We talked about Thelma and Louise off off the Winterfell walls. But had, you ready, Theon? <laughs> I'm ready, Sansa. <laughs> but what we don't get if Stannis doesn't have the support of the wall and John giving him provisions and housing his people there, you don't have Stannis marching towards Winterfell, I don't think. Well, yeah, and, and obviously Stannis can't even get to Winterfell before screwing up again and <laughs> losing about half of his army and, and a daughter and I, and a wife. And I just um, I think if Man, there's so many things that could have gone a different way for Stannis. And obviously he he recognized the importance of Mance as well immediately because Stannis was incredibly intelligent. He just fell under his own hubris more than anything else. But yeah, didn't he keep trying he, to keep Mance alive? He, he tried yes, to get Mance. He asked Mance like three times, like, dude, just take a knee and 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 fight for me. Like I if you and your wildlings come fight for me and we march south together, so I will give you land. I will give you all and a, a free pardon. and a pardon and everything. And he won't do it. And he's like, they won't fight for you. They'll only fight for me. And he's like, you could be right there with me. <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't take them up on it. You know, basically every direction that Stannis turned, it wasn't going a way that should have given him optimism. And yet he kept marching south. Uh, but you know he. It is what it is, and also, you know, I don't want us to forget immediately after the battle as well. We had the uh, the big eulogy by Master Aemon and uh. the burning, the burning of the bodies and stuff, which was really depressing. But yeah, the 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 fallout obviously is that Stannis at this point. This is when we all should have known after Stannis didn't get the Night's Watch and he didn't get Mance that he was. He was on a fool's errand. Yeah. If he would have just stopped, he could have survived, gone back home, regrouped, whatever. But he was just dead set on marching south and meeting his destiny, which he met off camera. But uh, <laughs> the, and then uh, and then the other thing was John. Obviously, John being named Night's Watch commander. Was right. Huge fallout and implications from this. And we've already kind of hit on what if Alistair, because he came one vote away. What if what if Thorn had had been named? What would that have meant for John and the Wildlings and everything? And you know that's that could be a whole different conversation. Even so. I know because you got to think about then if Alistair Thorn's named Lord Commander, John definitely takes up Stannis on his offer. <laughs> Get me the fuck <laughs> I, out! You know of here. he might. That's that is a hell of a good point actually. He and and how many of those Knights Watchmen would have left with him? That's a good point too. About half about of half. the already half that were dead, you know, 
So they could have really decimated the Night's Watch. Yeah. If, and, and I don't know, maybe Master Eamon knew that. I don't know. But, you know, he was the deciding vote. He was the Ohio of this, <laughs> but or Wisconsin. But, yeah, I mean, it was a – gosh, man, that is a really good point that I didn't think about at all. But if if Thorne is named Night's Watch Commander, obviously he would probably send John away just like John sent Slint away. Yep. Because that would be smart. And – John would be like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to – you think John would do that, though? Do you think John would have actually failed? I don't, or think, have... I don't think Thorne would have given John a different posting. I think Thorne, because he was already on track to um, to accuse John of being a turncloak and murdering his brother, Corn Halfhand, and laying with uh, a wildling okay. and betraying his vows. So I think he was going to kill John. I think Thorne – Okay, and that's how. So, so he would have he would have sentenced John to death, Mm -hmm. and then Stannis would have been like, "Or you can leave with me." And John would have definitely left because he's not an idiot, and uh, he is, but (laughs) (laughs) he 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 literally knows nothing. Yeah, but he would have left, and I bet a lot of those folks that left with him, you know, and any of the prison, any of the wildlings in prison, maybe would have offered to go to. I don't know. So that's. Well, that could have been a really different, but that's not enough. It wouldn't have been enough for Stannis, so they would have just died fighting uh, the Boltons. It would know. have been it would have been an interesting uphill trek. Like, well, uh, I guess if if John had left with Stannis, then Stannis could have ridden to several the Glovers and the others and been like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm and Stark. I'm here with John Stark, not John yeah, Snow. I've he's he is John Stark. I've legitimized him." Will you rally behind your king? That could have, so yeah, that could have been a big difference, I guess, when it's all said and done. Yep. Well, just like uh, all those brave brothers, Grin and Pip, who died at the wall, we shall never see their like again, or this podcast for this week. So, um, thanks for listening. If you have, and now uh, the cast has ended. And now the cast has ended. <laughs> oh my god! Now. But yeah, uh, that was pretty good. You're welcome. So if you have an op- a topic for us to talk about on our next podcast in two weeks, let us know in the comments below. It doesn't always have to be a battle, folks. But, hey, we do do battles pretty well. Next week, let's talk uh, fiscal policies of the Iron Bank. I'm, I'm totally down for that. Totally and, down. And how they affect the uh, macro economy of uh, Westeros. No. <laughs> No, not at all. No. We could talk. We could talk about the uh, how the the upcoming winter affects the crops across Winterfell, and really get into you know obviously grain is huge, but I have a feeling that if we were to look at like the the real cash crops of Winterfell, you'd obviously find some tobacco. Well, if you look at the S and P, yes, obviously. Yeah, and I, I think you probably find some Milo and maybe some <laughs> corn. Obviously, corn probably big. Uh, well, those people, you know, up, those people up in the reach are doing that GMO stuff, so I don't know. The question is, where does all the cotton come from? Like, where do they get their clothes? That's that's a great question. Where do the clothes in Westeros come from? Who, that's our next topic, who is folks. This cotton. I think we, I think we can keep going for a few hours here. <laughs> all right, listen, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm House Razor. Thanks for listening with Corey Smith and Corey Thone for a lot of more goods. <laughs>